0: Week. Ethan gave me the opportunity to be the chapel speaker for Adventure Week at camp, and all week I was reminded of a sign that used to be at the, the dry cleaner down the road from where I used to work at the funeral home had a sign, and some weeks it would be funny, some weeks it would be something that would get you thinking. One week they had on their sign, it said, when you start doing nothing, it's hard to stop. And I've been doing nothing for a long time. (laughs) And so between the rappelling and hiking a 14er and rafting, I think volleyball might have actually been one of the hardest things on me (laughs) the whole week. And rock climbing, I was barely walking yesterday. So thankful to the Lord that I'm feeling a little better today. But as I was going through the week, the, the theme for camp this year was take me to your leader, based on John fourteen six that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He, he is promising his disciples that where he is going, that they will know the way, and that he is God's truth. He is the one that is going to take them there. And so I was focusing this week on what it looks like to live a life with, with Jesus as our leader. How does that relate to the way I live my life? And it was, it was an interesting trying to relate to junior hires and high schoolers that come from, there were several that were pastor's kids like I was growing up. There were some in public school, some in private school. It was, it was a mixed group, and so trying to understand the world that they are going to face as, as they are growing up and still some of the same temptations that we've all faced. It got me thinking back to what we had been looking at over the last weeks of the VBS theme of Shining Jesus' Light, and that is really what we are called to do as believers. And then near the end of the week, I had a news story pop up in my feed on my phone, and it was asking, why are people leaving church? There was an interesting article in reading from this man's perspective of the, the small town that he grew up in, in Kansas, that... He said over 70% of the people that he grew up with in church would no longer claim even to be a Christian, that they are unchurched, not walking with the Lord. And so he, he's asking this question, why? Why has that become the case? Why have we seen this huge drift away from the church? And I thought his answer was really interesting because at first he brought up, his first thought was maybe the churches are asking too much Of people, And that's something that that crosses your mind when you were in ministry, when it seems like every time you try to do a ministry, you're having to go to the same people and say, I need you again. And the same people that are at Awana, are at Sunday School, are at VBS, are at San Juan Bible Camp, are at Heart to Heart, you think, man, we're just going to burn these people out. But his conclusion wasn't that. His conclusion was that we're not asking enough. In reality, church has become meaningless because it isn't shining Jesus' light. It's trying to become just like the world. And that churches need to demand more. And so, in thinking of all this, I was thinking of Ephesians 5, because in Ephesians 5, Paul has come out of Ephesians 4, where in the first half of the chapter, he's looking at unity in the church, using our spiritual gifts, growing together spiritually... As one author that a book I read on Ephesians called it, he called it interdependence. That as believers we are no longer to see ourselves as self-sufficient, but that we are dependent on horizontal relationships to grow our vertical relationship with God. And he's coming out of that into Ephesians 5 and further discussing what he talked about at the end of chapter 4 and how we are to live our lives, as Paul often says, how we are to walk. And he's delving further into that and how we are to imitate God and his love for us with each other. And then as we get to our passage today, he's going to be looking at how we are living our lives. And so in relation to this with shining Jesus's light, and thinking that Jesus said in Matthew 5, that we are the light of the world, that a city on a hill can't be hidden. You don't put a lamp under a bushel, but how do we live as that light? And over the series of Shining Jesus' Light, we looked at examples from our Lord, the way he interacted with others, but as we are trying to live as a church for the Lord, how do we do that? How do we do that in a way that will reach the world? How do we do that in a way that gives meaning to being here? So my big idea today is, again, a question it is, what steps do I consciously take to shine Jesus' light? What steps do I take to shine consciously take to shine Jesus' light? An overview of what we're looking at today. Again, being up at camp all week, I was a little behind, so the verses I gave Becky to put in the bulletin are a little off. We're going to be looking at 7 through 17. And so, in verses 7 through 10, Paul is going to stress not fellowshipping with darkness. In verses 11, 14, not participating in the darkness. And verses 15 to 17, intentionally living in the light. And again, what steps am I consciously taking to shine Jesus' light? Would you pray with me before we begin? Heavenly Father, speak through your word this morning. We have already read it. We can see it is a, cha- a challenge from Paul to the church at Ephesus, and it is a challenge to us as well. God, of how we are living for you, and, and what impact our lives are having uh, for you, for your glory. Help us to be to be challenged by this, and to be encouraged also by what Paul has to say. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So again, we start out in verses seven through ten by looking at not fellowshipping with darkness. Ephesians 5, 7, Paul says, Therefore do not be partakers with them. The them is the, referring back to verse 6, is uh, the sons of disobedience, those whom God is pouring his, his wrath out on. Um, that those who are, are living in a way contrary to what God has called us to is the them. The sons of disobedience." This is very similar to what Paul says in Second Corinthians six, in which we often take towards marriage relationships and, and other relationships, but it is very similar wording in the Greek. In Second Corinthians 6:14, Paul says, "Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light and darkness." Now the bound together in some translations in the, in the original is yoked like two oxen trying to work together. Uh, the word that Paul uses in Second Corinthians that we translate um, for partnership is the word here um, for partakers. that We see this, that we don't have any business investing ourselves, spending our time with people who aren't on the same path that we are. It does not mean that we, we shun people who aren't believers, that we exclude them. We can't ever share Jesus with them if we do that. But that who we're choosing to, to give our lives to, it's why it's so, the Second Corinthians 1 is so applicable to marriage, but it is in all our relationships. That if there is darkness in the world and there is light, and we are called to be the light, we cannot let the darkness affect us. We need to be strengthening ourselves in the light so that we can affect others. Verse 8, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You were, but now you are. In the book of Ephesians, Paul spends the first couple chapters explaining to them in further detail It's not that he hadn't already taught them, but emphasizing who they have become in Jesus Christ. That they are new creatures because of what God the Father has done for them in sending Jesus Christ to die for their sins, in giving them eternal life, in sealing them with the Holy Spirit, in bringing the Gentiles into what previously only the Jews had, and that is a relationship with God. He has stressed all of these things, and here he's stressing that because you know that's what you were, but it's not what you are now, so we need to be living like what we are now. Paul is basing his reasoning here for for being a child of the light in their identity in Christ. You are now the light. You shouldn't walk in darkness. In Romans 6.1, when Paul asks the question, that should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. To him, it is, it is lunacy that it's not that God's grace can't cover our sin if we, if we are in sin. It is that why would you ever choose to live that way? You've been given a new life. You've been given the Holy Spirit. You've been given the opportunity to break the chains of sin that is slavery. Why would you ever want that anymore? You're a new creature. Again, here, as he says, walk, that is, that is your lifestyle, that is how you are living. Important thing to bring out here is that if it wasn't possible for children of the light to walk in darkness, Paul wouldn't have needed to give this command. It would have been unnecessary. This is a concern of his. That they understand who they are in Christ and that they are living that out. So they are experiencing what God wants for them what he has taught them. Verse 9, he says, For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And the fruit of the light is those qualities that characterize God's life. I think most clearly of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Those things that should be coming out in our life that aren't natural to our fleshly nature. These are exact opposite of the fruit of darkness that he talked about in chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, they have become callous and given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. That the heart that is, is bent on fulfilling its own desires and needs becomes hard, it becomes callous towards God. And what he is saying here is that in, in walking in the light, in, in submission to God, that we are, we are no longer there. That our hearts have become tender to God and His will and the things that please Him. That as a child of the light, if you're not walking in the light, you are not going to bear fruit. That our lives should be easily distinguished from a child of darkness. It's like that old saying, if you went on trial today for being a Christian, how much evidence would there be to convict you? Our lives, the very way we live, should be shining Jesus' light. And that is the fruit of the Spirit coming out in us. That is what we are called to verse 10, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. If we are children of the light and we are walking as children of the light, we are going to be continually trying to discover what it is that we can do to please God. That the more I am serving him, the more I am growing in my love for him, the more I want to please him with my life. And so I'm going to be searching Scripture, I am going to be seeking wisdom from others. I'm going to be dedicated to prayer and to what God's will is for my life. And that is the inevitable conclusion of walking as a child of the light. And again, that, that Paul is he is stressing these the the necessity of who we are fellowshipping with, of how we are living our lives that he is stressing this coming out of his talking about being interdependence interdependence within the church that he has been stressing our need for each other, but we have to have our eyes open to even within the church to how we are uh, who we are choosing to to spend our time with and build these relationships and and the more we are in tune with what God wants the more we will see that or see the lack of that in others and the better chance we have of building others up instead of being torn down. That whether it's inside the church or outside the church, we need to know where to draw the line, where correction needs to come from. And that's the sole purpose of our lives is to, is to shine that light, is to have that fruit coming out in us of the light. Our second section here, verses 11 to 14, do not participate in the darkness. Verse 11, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Oh, that if we are children of the light, we are called to refrain from joining in, in the sons of disobedience and the, the things that they are doing. We are to correct believers who may have fallen into sin in their lives because these deeds will never bear fruit. They are, they are the opposite of that. They're unfruitful deeds of darkness. But we are to expose them. It is, the deeds of, it is the deeds of unbelievers, it is these sinful deeds that we are to shun, not, not the unbeliever themselves. Or if a, a Christian falls into sin, it is, it is those deeds that we are to shun and expose, not to shun the person. We need to to correct those deeds, especially in believers, by bringing God's light to them. The light that that produces this new life within us to let that shine in their life and to bring them back from that. The word for expose there in the Greek can literally mean to bring to light. We need to expose them for what they are. That it isn't... A minor thing, it isn't. All of these things are so important to God and how we are living for Him because we are His light to the world. And so we can't just brush stuff under the rug. But they need to be exposed and brought to the light. Verse 12, For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. the, The point here isn't that because between verse 11 and verse 13, you might say, well, how can you expose them if you won't even talk about them? I think the idea he's bringing about here is that if if someone is in sin to sit around and talk about that uh, only brings attention to the wrong deed and it it isn't helpful. The helpful thing is to, you don't wait, you don't sit around and chit-chat about it, but you expose it by those things done in secret you can't let the things be done in the dark stay there you can't talk about it because that won't change anything i think it's interesting here we'll get to this more here in the next couple of verses but that when he talks about being done in secret i think so often one of the problems in the church and it's a problem that has always been a problem of sinful man is that it is very easy to have a public persona that everyone gets to see, a private persona that that maybe my family and my close friends get to see, and a secret persona of those things in my heart and in my mind that I want, but I don't want anyone else to know that, that those are my desires. Those things are only secret even in life for so long. You can't fool everyone all the time, but you can never fool God. There is no secret with him. And so we need to be conscious of of that. We'll get more into that here in a bit. Verse 13. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that that becomes visible is light. So he's saying here, on the other hand, that when light shines on these evil deeds, people see them for what they are. They are evil. I can't pretend that it isn't a big deal when I understand God's view of that. I can't pretend like, well, that's a part of my life I can keep separate from this church part of my life. That when exposed to the light, the true nature of those deeds is evident. We can't just talk about them, bring attention to them. We must expose them to the light. What's really interesting in this is the NASB is, is a very good translation on this some of them I wouldn't agree with but it says that everything that becomes visible is light in, literally in the Greek it says that they might become light one author I was reading was saying that this is actually one of the it's so easy to, to read this and, and get a understanding okay yeah it, it's, you expose them to light you know light shining on it I get that if, if a room is dark and I flip the light on I can now see what's in there but Paul is saying it's not just that they're exposed by the light, but that they can become light. And so this author was saying this is one of the greatest promises for successful Christian living in the New Testament. That when we expose our deeds, when we expose our desires, that God can change us. That we can become light. That if we are holding on to those things and trying to keep them secret and And keeping those desires for ourselves because we don't want to let them go, then we are never truly going to change. But that when we expose them to Him, that He can make them light. Again, that that secret persona that we don't want anyone to know about, when we take that to God, that He can change those things within us. You can't be the light if you were trying to conceal the secret. Again, you're never going to fool everyone all the time. And when that hypocrisy comes out, it does nothing but turn people away. But if we expose ourselves to light, submit ourselves to God, he will enable us to become light. And that new creature that is inside of us, it, it becomes who we are. Paul illustrates this further in the, in the next verse. He says in verse 14, For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Since God will eventually bring all things into the light, it's important that, that believers wake up and rise from the, the deadness of, of an unsaved lifestyle, of having sin as the desire in our life, the things that, that please us, and instead seek the things that please God. And if we do that, Christ is going to shine on us. He says it will shine us on us a blessing. Think of it isn't so much here, we have a lot of sunny days here. But when I lived in the Midwest and it felt like you just never saw the sun from the end of October till like April. That, you know, getting to, to go outside and to feel the sun on your face, I mean it just felt like oh, life's going to be okay. (laughs) Think of Jesus shining who he is on us to change who we are and what a blessing that is. The source from which Paul quoted uh, this is uh, most scholars think that it was an early Christian hymn that was based on Isaiah 60. That it is taking Isaiah 60 uh, verse 1 and, and seeing Christ in there and this blessing that, that God is wanting to give us through the light that Jesus will shine on us. So our last section, verses 15 to 17, is live intentionally in the light. Verse 15, Paul says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. And this, this therefore, you know, it's typical in Paul's letters that as he builds his arguments, you know, every so often you see it therefore. So I've taken what I've said here and I'm building on it because of that, this, and because of that, this, and because of all of that, this. He is leading here through our unity and how we are living our lives and the light that Jesus is, and he is building on to that in this next section of of submission, this mutual submission to one another, rightful submission in the relationships that God has put us in, all of us submitting to Jesus Christ. And that is how we we truly are are able to live like that. And he starts this out with making the most of your time. That we need to live wisely and use every opportunity to please and glorify God. That when it says there, making the most of your time, it is literally the Greek word that that is translated elsewhere for to redeem. Ex agarazo, out of and to buy. We're buying, buying something back. It's used of Jesus buying us with his blood. And it's saying that we can do the same thing with time. That if we are living for ourselves or we are not conscious of God's will in our life, that our lives can be just wasted away but that we have the opportunity to buy it back. The psalmist in Psalm 90 talks about us having 70 years in this life, maybe 80 if we're strong, and he tells us to number our days. It's to understand that we have a limited time in this life to serve the Lord. And we need to make the absolute most of it. And as he says there at the end, because the days are evil, this is important because as we are surrounded by evil, we cannot let the evil of the world around us draw us away into wasting the opportunities that God has given us. And then verse 17, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And he started this out with, telling about the wise and the unwise, and now he's telling them, do not be foolish, A person that is not wise is lacking in wisdom, but a foolish person knows the right thing to do and then chooses the opposite. Do not be a fool. Paul has taught them. He is reiterating to them all of the things that God wants for them. He's saying, don't be a fool and waste what God has given you. To be wise, we must be able to understand things to understand God's will, as he has pointed out. And it is after that, as he said in verse 10, that we can please God. And God's will should be our primary purpose as a Christian. That if Jesus Christ is the Lord of all, if he is the head of the church of the body, again, specifically, this is is looking corporately at, at how we are living life together, that as our purpose as a church should be seeking his will and living it. His will includes allowing us to be led by him. Again, as he's beginning this section on submission, our most important understanding is that we should submit our lives to God, and that it should be his will for us, not our own. And furthermore, as he says in verse 21, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, that even within the church, that it is not a looking after our own rights or the things that, that we want, but that we are submitting to each other, that we see the whole as more important than the me. Wise people not only make the most of their time, or wise people make the most of their time because they seek to discover and do God's will. But that is how we, we live that out, and it takes a conscious decision to live that way. So as we conclude, again, the big idea was that question, what steps do I consciously take to shine Jesus' light? Do not fellowship with darkness. Do not participate in darkness. Live intentionally in the light. Fellowshiping with darkness, you know, there's another old saying, bad company corrupts good morals. Who are we choosing to spend our time with? Who are we choosing to invest in? Again, this is written even to relationships within the church. We can't let someone who is caught up in themselves and their desires pull us into that darkness, but instead expose them. We need each other to grow spiritually, as Paul pointed out in chapter 4, 4.16, that the body causes the growth of the body. And so conscious steps that I see for that is we need to seek out believers that we can learn from, and we need to seek out believers that we can teach. It, it is an incredible blessing to have people who are willing to pour into you and to teach you from what they have learned from their life experience. And you might even learn more in trying to teach someone else. And in picking those relationships carefully and wisely and pouring into them is how we can grow together. It's how we can avoid these pitfalls of becoming a partaker with the darkness. And two, the participation in the darkness. Uh, turn with me to first John. First John one. Again, this is another book written to believers, another warning about not walking in the light. 1 John 1, 5-10, John says, This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with him, or we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sin, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So I have three things with this one, a conscious steps. One is to make confession to God a priority in your life. that the more we confess our sins to God, the more our hearts become aware of things we need to confess. That we are coming before Him regularly and that those sins in our life, the the things that need exposed, that we are willing to expose them to Him. And that we are looking for the change that He wants to give us. That we are are willing to submit to Him and let Him change us. Second is that we need to pray for God to show us those things in our life that need confessed, to show us the darkness and the light, that if, if he is the light, let him expose those things in us. Psalm 139, 23 and 24, David says, Search me and know me, O God, for, to know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Let God expose those things because he is the light. Rely on him for that. the third thing I would have there is to find an accountability partner. If there is is something that you are struggling with in your your life that it it just feels like I can't let go of of that thing, man, I, I know that this is the darkness, but I can't imagine my life without it. Maybe I can just keep that secret. Bring it out. I've always enjoyed Ecclesiastes 4, 12 where it says that uh, someone can be overcome if they're by themselves two are strong but a court of 3 or more is rarely broken that, that there is strength in numbers and that if God has given us each other within the church that we need to to rely on each other in that way and James 5 talks about confession to one another James 5:16 therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. That, you know, I often think of confession to others in light of how the Catholic Church and others view confession that we need someone between us and God, and that isn't what James is saying, that's not what I'm saying. We can take our things directly to God, but if he has given us each other to grow spiritually, to become more like his son Jesus Christ... Then let's use each other. Expose those things in your life so that other people can be praying for you, so that you can find strength in that accountability. I'll say this in relation to to that: that you know, that Christian fellowship is so important that we need to be seeking opportunities. But Sunday mornings are necessary. They are. They need to be a part of our lives, that we are dedicated to being here, dedicated to serving. But that can't meet the fellowship that we see in the New Testament. That these people weren't just a part of a church on Sunday mornings, but they were each other's lives. And we live in a different world and a different time where we're not reliant on each other financially or the way they were then, but I think the principle is still there of These are people you invest who you are into. And so seek opportunities to serve with each other. Seek opportunities to fellowship with each other. And to build those relationships within the church that will lead to spiritual growth for all of us. Number three, the last one, to live intentionally in the light. About redeeming that time. Let's say this comes down to something I... I enjoy talking about it a lot, but that eternal perspective, that understanding that those wants and those desires in this life, that this life is so short compared to eternity. We just don't go through life like the unwise or the foolish, but to live intentionally, to take conscious steps to shine the light. Uh, a hobby horse of mine, I just feel like so many believers go through life feeling like if they keep the list of sins that they see as being wrong, that they're living the life God wants them to. And Paul obviously here is saying that morality and these things are extremely important, but it's the morality that flows out of living for him, not our own self-righteousness like the Pharisees had. That takes living intentionally for God to actually live a life that is free from the darkness in that way. That if you want to experience the abundant life that Jesus promised in John 10.10, you need to submit to Him. You need to serve. You need fellowship. You need to grow. Again, all of this in relation to the church, that that living like this together, shining the light together, gives real meaning to being a part of the body. You don't just come here and, and sing a few songs and, and listen to a sermon you can listen to people who are, are far more gifted and knowledgeable than me on the television or the radio but it is you being a part of each other that is important it is your encouragement to one another your challenges to one another that will keep people from walking away in relation to the world you know we won't be a bunch of pretenders acting like we have it all together. We need to know we don't and that we need God and that we not only possess eternal life, but we possess his spirit within us that wants to give us new and fresh and abundant life and that we live reliance on that and each other. And it's never going to change until we're with him in our resurrected bodies. That We can be in that way God's light because we can be ambassadors of his love not just there to tell everyone how I've got it together and you're doing everything wrong, but that Jesus loves them. God loves them and sent his son. I want to tell you about what I experience and shine forth his light in that way.